0: Let's pray together now, seek the Lord's help. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for your son, our saviour. We pray that as we begin this journey through this book, that you might help us to grow to know and love him more, that you might make us more like your son. And Lord, we pray that you might speak through me today, words that are clear, true, helpful, and that you might change us all to be more like him, and to glorify you in our lives. Please help us to see Jesus. Amen. Well, where do you turn when you feel empty or weak? Uh, Where do you turn when you lack the strength, say, to change your circumstances? Is it to escape in something? Netflix, a good book? A game. Or maybe you keep looking to yourself or to reminiscing over your past achievements. Or maybe it's repeating some positive thinking mantra. You know, you can do anything if you set your mind to it, you can be anything you want to be. Where do you turn for fulfillment and life and fullness? So many people look to themselves or to new pleasures, new ideas, new ways of doing things. Even as Christians, we can feel sometimes that Christ hasn't satisfied us, and so we turn to something else. So often we feel we're going without, and we forget what we do have. And we turn to other things or other people for meaning and fulfillment and Encouragement. But what we'll see here in Colossians is the one we need to turn to. The one that we need to stay focused on. We must never forget what we have in him, in Christ. For we have everything in him. Everything in Christ. All we need. And we'll be exploring what that means. And what that looks like over the next three months. I'm going to cover four points today. Why, who, what, and how? Why is Paul writing? Who is he writing to? What is he thankful for? A central point. And how does it relate to us? Firstly, why is Paul writing? Paul is writing to this young church that he's actually never been to before. Full of new believers. He wants them all to know what they have in Christ, to keep focused on him and devoted to him. And in the facing of other teachings, false teaching, temptations, he wants them to never move on from Christ, but know that living the best life happens in Christ. To give you a taste, I hope you've got your Bible open, look down at chapter 1 verse 18. God wants Christ to have the first place, the supremacy in everything. Verse 19, the fullness of God dwells in him. Verse 20, we get reconciled to God through him. In verse 28, Paul wants them all to grow to maturity in Christ, in him. To know, he wants them to know all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 3. And look at these key verses in the book, in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He wants them to continue in Christ and be rooted in, built up in him. That's why he writes. For in chapter 2, verse 11, we get filled in him. We We get fullness in him. We get everything in Jesus. And Paul wants them to know that. God wants us to know that through this letter. There are some teachers who would draw the believers away, follow other Greek philosophies or Jewish legalism or, or seek spiritual experiences beyond Christ, but that will all fail. Paul wants this young church to know all the treasures are in the gospel. What they have now, what they will have in the future, it's because of the good news of Jesus. And it impacts everything their lives, their church, their family, their work, their world. The gospel impacts us, or it should, in every way too. Why is the letter written? It's, it's written so that every Christian who reads it will know that they have everything in Christ, all that matters, and stick close to him. Second question is who? Briefly, who is the letter written to? Firstly, we're told in verse 1 the letter comes from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That means the letter comes from with God's authority. Because remember Paul was appointed Acts chapter 9 by the resurrected Christ to be his spokesman. And Timothy was a secondary author, not an apostle. But they are writing to the saints, the the Christians, the holy ones, the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae. Colossae is a town uh, in Asia Minor. Can you make that, I forgot to say, could you make that a full slide for the next two slides please Luke and uh, just block me out. So it's written to people in Colossae circled in red there. Colossi is a town in Asia Minor, about 150 Ks inland you'll see from Ephesus, and it's in modern day Turkey. It was located near an important east-west trade route. At this time it's not a big city, but it is growing and it is prosperous. And Paul writes to the Christian church there. He hadn't been there himself on his missionary journeys. Paul didn't plant this church but as we read in Acts chapter 19 he had been in nearby Ephesus and he stayed in Ephesus for over two years and Acts 19 verse 9 said taking the disciples Paul conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus and this went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia both Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord and it seems that those who heard the gospel there included Epaphras. He's mentioned in verse 7. We assume that Epaphras came to trust in Jesus, and Paul discipled and trained him, and then Epaphras became this dearly loved, faithful, and fellow servant of Paul in gospel ministry. And Epaphras went, or maybe was sent, back to Colossae to share the gospel. And plant a church Back to Colossae And look if you look in chapter 4 verse 13 Of the letter He also planted churches in Laodicea And Hierapolis Also there circled The letter of Philemon In the New Testament reveals That the church in Colossae Or at least one of its congregations Met in Philemon's home So Epaphras been involved in evangelism, church planting, training disciples, leading a church, and now he's returned to Paul, updated Paul, and that's prompted Paul to write this letter to the Colossians. He's likely writing while he's under house arrest at the end of Acts 28, so it's about 60 AD, about 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And thinking about Epaphras, Let's think about him for a minute. What's happened in this story that I just told you briefly, it tells us that Paul didn't do all the gospel ministry himself. He trained others who served. He trained others in gospel ministry, probably like Epaphras who's gone back to his hometown, or others who've gone elsewhere to share the gospel and plant churches. I am so encouraged that Bundy has sent out people to three church plants in our short history. We as a church, we as a denomination need to keep doing that because people need Jesus. Does God want you to take the gospel somewhere or to a particular people? Maybe it's even to your workplace, your school, your family this year. Who's Paul writing to? These faithful, firmly committed Christians. Verse 2, people who are in Christ, that is united to Christ by his spirit. People who are part of God's family. And if we have turned from sin and trusted in Christ, then we also are in him. And what's said in this letter really relates to us too. Third question is, what? what is Paul thankful for? That's the end of my full screen slides, thankfully. Third question is, what? what's Paul thankful for? Verses 3 to 8. Look at that. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Whenever Paul is praying for these people he's never met, he always thanks God for them. For as verse 8 reveals, Epaphras has come back to him with good news about them. And please notice that Paul is not praising or thanking them. He's thanking God for what God is doing in their lives. Paul thanks God for their faith. Firstly, their faith in Christ Jesus, verse 4. You may hear it said today, you just got to have faith. I know a few decades back, George Michael sang, you just got to have faith, faith, faith. But a faith that everything will just work out in the end is baseless. The question is faith in what? For it's who or what our faith is in that matters. The Colossians' faith is in Christ Jesus. He's the object of their faith. And the object of your faith is what matters. Preacher Charles Spurgeon Illustrated the importance of faith's object in the 1800s by telling of two men in a boat on a river. Imagine this, caught in severe rapids. They are being swept towards a waterfall. I was picturing Victoria Falls. They're being swept towards a waterfall, and some men on the shore tried to save them by throwing them a rope. One man caught hold of the rope and was pulled safely to shore. The other man, in the panic of the moment, grabbed hold of what seemed a more substantial log that was floating by. And that man was carried downstream and over the waterfall and was never seen again. You see, faith represented by the rope linked to the shore connects us to Jesus and safety he's the only one who can save you faith is a personal trust in and commitment to Jesus Christ a personal trust in and commitment to Jesus Christ it involves your mind your emotions and your will in the sense that with the mind we understand the truth of the gospel. With the heart we feel convicted of our sin and our need to be saved. But it's only when we exercise the will and commit ourselves to Christ that the process is complete. Faith is commitment to Jesus Christ. It's leaning your whole weight upon him. Where it's, we're all, it's like we're all on a flimsy boat. Heading toward a deadly waterfall. And when you lose, when you have loved ones die, it brings the reality of this home to us. Who's going to save you? Where's your faith and trust placed? Put it in Jesus. And if you have, then be thankful every day. Be thankful for what he has saved you from. Not only does Paul thank God for their faith, but also for their love. Their love for all the saints. Their, that's their fellow Christians, people who are in close relationship with the Holy God, too. If you look down at verse 8, he says that they've loved in the Spirit. Because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. That's seeking and sacrificing for the good of others before ourselves. And so the love Christians show one another is something we do by God's Spirit. It's God-empowered, and that's why God deserves the thanks and praise. But did you notice in this passage how love, the love and faith comes about? Faith in Christ, love for others, comes, we're told, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Paul says you've already heard about this in the word of truth, the gospel. And normally we think, I think, logically, we put our faith and trust in Jesus and then we have a hope of heaven. And we love others now. And that is true. Christian life begins with trusting Jesus. But here, Paul's saying hope has resulted in their faith and love. He's saying, when you know you have treasure laid up for you in heaven, it'll change the way you live now. When you have a joyful and confident expectation of heaven, it motivates you to have constant faith now and show costly love. Remembering a glorious inheritance awaits. We'll come to that in verse 12. It strengthens our faith in Jesus and it helps us to hang in there, trusting him in the trials and the temptations now. And their hope has enhanced their love for people that they will share eternal life with, knowing that they will see Jesus one day it motivates them to do what he asks now, loving one another. Don't you think that we need to meditate more on the life to come and consider how that should affect our lives now? We live in a buy now, pay later society. We're impatient. Often we expect everything now and we expect a want to wait for nothing. The Christian is willing to pay the costs now and receive it later. What makes Christians willing to make such sacrifices and show such patience? It's hope. Hope based on faith that the future holds something better than the present. Doesn't suffering bring that home to us? But all of this has come from the gospel. See that in verse 5. We have a sure hope of eternal life because of the gospel. The faith and love and hope all come from the gospel. They spring from the gospel. That good news that Jesus lived and died and rose again. He rules now. Verse 5 calls it the word of truth. We'll hear more about this in the coming weeks. But God's word is true. And when we believe it, it's life-altering. It is life-changing And we need to keep on believing it. You might have become a Christian many years ago. You need to keep believing this today and this week and this year, whatever 2024 brings. And not just accepting certain truths in your head. This this is about a conviction, a, a commitment. It's a heart thing too. Look at look at the end of verse 6. It speaks of appreciating God's grace. The truth of the gospel is that God saves us by his grace, as an undeserved gift. So when you appreciate God's grace, we experience it, we really know it. Now the, the Greek word appreciate can just literally mean to understand or know, but n- knowing Christ isn't just receiving or agreeing with information. It's recognizing him as the altogether lovely one delighting in him my wife Kirsty and I had a chance when I was on holidays earlier in Jan to go to a bee and honey farm and I had about 10 different types of honey I tasted them all to work out which was my favorite I worked out I like leatherwood honey the most apparently the flavor is too strong for some but I like Leatherwood honey. Suppose you've never tasted honey. You know it's sweet because you've heard that it is from reliable sources. People have told you, but that's a very different kind of knowledge from the knowledge of honey's sweetness you get when you take a big mouthful and you fall in love with its taste. Have you known and tasted God's goodness? Have you tasted his grace? Do you appreciate it? When you have, you want to trust him, love him, love his people, and look forward to being with him. So, Paul is thankful for the gospel. That's resulted in changed lives for the Colossians. Look at how he puts it in verse six. It's been bearing fruit and growing among them and all over the world. That isn't meant to be taken literally. It is a figure of speech. Likely meant all over the Roman world. But his point is, people are becoming Christians everywhere. This message of Christ—it's saving and changing lives all over. The gospel bears fruit when the church grows in number. When people are saved by the gospel, it grows and bears fruit when the gospel produces inner transformation, this faith and love and hope. And Paul's going to say more about this growth in the the next section. But for now, every time Paul prays, what is he thanking God for? That the gospel is bearing fruit in their lives in faith and love and hope. Finally, how how does this relate to us? I don't know if you see me in casual clothes, but I like wearing Jesus T-shirts. And I saw this image during the week, and I was thinking that I might like to get that on a T-shirt. And then I also thought, God actually also wants me to live it. Faith, hope, love. I ask, would Paul and Timothy thank God for those things if they knew us, if they saw us at Bundy? Would Paul thank God for those things if he visited your growth group this year? If he visited your home and spent a week living with your family? Or if he knew you personally? Are you showing similar fruit, growing faith, Real love, enduring hope. Some people who profess to be Christians seem faithless, loveless and hopeless. So are you convicted of something that needs to change? We've likely all met people who claim to be Christians, say they are but don't show it in their actions in living lives of love. I might say they have a loveless profession, an orthodoxy without charity, a questionable faith. Maybe you know someone like that or are related to someone like that. But are you seeking the good of others before yourself? Maybe like in kindness, the gentleness and generosity you show, the patience, the service. Or maybe you're good at loving your nuclear family, but you don't really love other brothers and sisters outside of that. How does God want you to grow more like the Colossians? Another area of application is in our thankfulness. Paul thanked God, didn't he, for their faith and love. And yet I wonder if too often we're thankless people. I can see it in my own hearts and in my own prayers. We're happy to ask God for what we want or for what others need. Let's not be Christians who only are asking God for our Father for things. Don't forget to thank him for all he has and does and will give us. And the example of Paul reminds us not just to be thankful for what God is doing in our lives, but in the lives of others. Or when we pray for our missionaries, you could thank God for their faith, their love, their hope. And thanking God for such things, it keeps our perspective on God's priorities, not on the fleeting and earthly and material things that so many old people in our world live for. Let's be people who joyfully give thanks to God often, especially what he's doing in the lives of others by the gospel and by his spirit. So look for gospel fruits that's seen in the lives of brothers and sisters here and give thanks. I can be more thankful in my prayer times. Maybe you can too. I'm sure that all of us could benefit from growing in faith and love and hope and thankfulness. How do we change? How how can we grow We can't simply tell ourselves to change and try harder because you know what? You can't just be anything you want to be. Paul has given us the answer. The answer is the gospel. It's knowing and grasping the gospel which will result in faith and hope and love. And so we must sink our roots down deep into the gospel, appreciating it, savoring it, God's grace in Jesus more and more. Maybe this year you need to start afresh reading through a gospel of Jesus, John or Luke, or read slowly through a book like Romans, Ephesians or Colossians. Look at what it says to you about Christ, what God has done for you in him and what he will do. Reflect upon the life and eternal glory that awaits you because of Jesus. Maybe you could ask someone from Bundy if they'd read the Bible with you so you can share with one another how you're going in life and in this love and in your faith and hope. Be encouraged in that. Andy's going to run some one-to-one Bible reading training later in June this year. We will change as we turn and see God's glory in Jesus. When we see the Glory and grace of Christ as we hear the gospel. We see God's glory and grace in Christ as we hear the gospel. So we need to keep speaking the gospel to ourselves. You need to keep speaking the gospel to yourself every day. 20th century London preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we're listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. We need to say to ourselves, even when we don't feel like it, God is all I need. God is all I need so I can trust him and not be anxious, not be fearful, even as school starts this week. God has loved me in Christ so I can love others. My hope and inheritance with Jesus awaits me in heaven, so I will live for that now. Change takes place, growth takes place, growth in our faith and love and hope as we keep reminding ourselves on of and relying on what Christ has obtained for us both now and in the future. Change will take place as you see God's glory and goodness and grace in Jesus. And as we speak of God's grace to our hearts and cry out for the Spirit's help to do what we cannot do ourselves. The gospel of Christ leads to growing faith, love, hope. And as we grow by grace, we'll have much to be thankful for and much to thank God for in the lives of one another. So when you leave today, what do you want others to be able to thank God for in your life? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the love of Epaphras, for these people in this city of Colossae. Commitment to go there and take the good news of Jesus with him. Thank you that you bore fruit through the gospel and changed their lives. So by trusting in Jesus, they were united to him. And it's resulted in growing faith and hope and love that's become known elsewhere, which Paul was thankful for. And we pray, Father God, to thank you for those who've spoken the gospel to us. Thank you for the faith and hope and love I see in brothers and sisters in this church. Please bear more and more of that fruit in us this year. Lord God, we pray that you might make us more thankful people. And when it comes to change, may we not look to new ideas, other teachings, philosophies, but may we see afresh and deeper and deeper In your word, the glory, goodness, and grace of God in the face of Jesus. So please, Lord, grow our trust in him. Help us to keep speaking the gospel to ourselves. And we thank you, Father, for the salvation, life, and fullness we have in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.